0: You're listening to an all new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests,
1: and a whole lot more. This episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast is sponsored by CollegeCast LLC. At CollegeCast, we help empower student voices by helping students to start their own podcast so that they can take control of their personal brand. Visit www.collegecastpodcasts.com for more information or to check out some of our awesome podcasts. Welcome to Episode 131 of the Self-Made Strategies Podcast. On this episode, we sat down with Jeff Epstein of Onboard.io. Jeff is with us today to talk about serial entrepreneurship, starting, growing, scaling, and potentially selling your business how to make yourself more attractive as a business when you're trying to raise capital, who to go to to raise capital, and the best practices for doing so. And we're also going to talk about the rise of the customer-driven organization and how that is impacting the way that companies are focusing on their customers. Here are the self-made strategies of Jeff Epstein. Excited to talk about Onboard.io. I really want to hear about how you started the organization to begin with, what led you to start onboard.io. And then, of course, we'll get into talking about starting, growing, scaling, and selling a business, how to raise capital, what serial entrepreneurship is like, which a lot of the listeners that listen to this show routinely care about, and uh, how to generate customer success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so onboard.io is my most recent company, and it really started from solving a massive pain point in my previous company, which I had started in about 2009, 2010, called Ambassador. And um, essentially, we, like many other subscription-based software companies, uh, want to keep customers as long as possible, which means uh, having them renew and using your product or service. And um, and we found that one of the big holes in our, in our success process, our success team, was figuring out how to onboard customers better, meaning getting them to use the software more quickly and make that process Pain, as painless as possible. Um, and so for us, we solved that by doing a lot of different things, using a lot of different tools, none of which were really made for us. And uh, after we ended up selling the company uh, and, and called Ambassador, we sold that in 2018, uh, it took a while to figure out what I was going to do next. And um, the head of success, the head of operations at Ambassador, uh, Will Stevenson, uh, we decided to partner up. And along with Matt Majeski who also was um, high up on the dev team and, and ambassador and we decided to start start on board to solve that problem
1: super cool so now that you've grown that business first of all how did you that initial team what were some of the struggles that you faced and then how did you scale and overcome those struggles
0: yeah so with ambassador I mean it was it was It was my first sort of real adult startup, I would say. You know, I had other startups when I was in college and it was really essentially me and a handful of other people doing everything. So Ambassador was a real business, right? It was, uh, we had real paying customers, public companies, large companies. Uh, We had to act like adults. uh, and, And that included like hiring, right? And building processes. So something that for me, I learned a lot on the fly. I was fortunate enough to learn from some of the folks that we ended up hiring, you know, I'd like to think that I intentionally thought about those things. A lot of it, I probably just lucked into, um, and it was also, uh, I think, learning by doing. And like like many entrepreneurs, right? So uh, that was, you know, how we how we grew Ambassador was really a lot of hard work and sweat equity. And what's nice is now we took all those mistakes that you know specifically I made and the things that we've learned and be able to start onboard. And, and be able to look back and say, man, I saved us like ye- we saved years, not just me, but we saved years of headache and heartache by like doing things a little bit differently and thinking about the world a little bit differently. And that that's been really nice. And you, you feel like you get a lot more done in a lot less time.
1: Yeah. And, and that is exactly, you know, what most entrepreneurs, I think, go through, regardless of where they are in their journey at large. Right. Um, is. You kind of go through these iterations of I tried this, it didn't work, I failed, or or whatever wasn't a success, air quotes, whatever you define success as, in in many reasons for many reasons or in many aspects. And what do I do with that? What do I take from that? And how do we then on the next project improve? Right. One of the things for me, uh, I'll just share is uh, I'm a, I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but I think I'm an okay visionary, right? I'm I'm the person that sees all of the moving parts and says, this is how they all connect, Mm -hmm. but not always the best at staying administratively (laughs) on point, right? That's like my biggest weakness is uh, just handling the overall mass of admin stuff. And you need to find people that mesh well with that, right? There, there are really great people out there that can help you to succeed as team members, as you said, has that always been the experience? Was that the experience at ambassador and how have you, you know, those members that came over to onboard has, has it always meshed? Well, do you all have strengths that are balancing out each other's weaknesses?
0: Yeah. And it's a, it, it's one of the biggest learnings, you know, as you grow a business and build a company. Right. And at first, you know, you start and you have a bunch of generalists, like people that can do a lot of things right. pretty well. And as you grow and scale, you want to have specialists, people that are the best that you can find at a specific thing, right? And what that often takes is, you know, you have to be, uh, as someone that, you know, a, a leader or manager or ultimately the founder or owner, you have to be able to identify both from a hiring perspective and then actually from an on the job performance perspective, if you're, if you're right about, about, you know, what, what you, what you're thinking, right? And then, um, What's interesting is, uh, you, you know, and then that's a hard thing to do, right? Is to, to do that well, and and also, like you said, you have the self awareness to say, hey, I, I'm real. I think I'm really great at this. I'm not so great at this. Right. Most people don't have those skills, and it's right. so self awareness. What what we found is like we we prefer to hire for self awareness and versus and, and then sort of train on specific skills, right? Like maybe they're not that hard, but uh, versus finding somebody who I used to say like a no like a know-it-all. Like we used to try to not have know-it-alls, right? Because they cover up their mistakes. Right. And so that's a very yeah. dangerous thing.
1: Yeah, that's uh, a brilliant point, actually. Yeah. And and look, uh, full disclosure and confession, far from perfect on my end, and still learning every day to try to be more self aware. And we we fall into those ruts sometimes. And quite frankly, I mean, um, you know, this is just more recent. That's actually one of the big lessons was you got to be more self-aware, man. You got to know, me, me talking to myself, you got to know that you can't do this by yourself. And it's, going, it's almost invariably going to fail if it's just me. Whereas, you know, the more we bring in more people that want to be there, that's another thing, right? Is it has to be people that want to go to war with you.
0: A hundred percent. And one of the things, again, this was a total learning for me, Um, And I certainly was way wrong about what I thought people wanted and sort of what would make it, make everything work, so to speak, uh, from a company building perspective and from a culture perspective. And so I sort of had an about face and really just a realization of, you know, as a founder, as an owner, like people treat you differently, whether, and people respond and perceive your, whether it's your mood, your tone, all these things differently than even how you potentially feel. And so. You know, we had a scenario at Ambassador where I realized like I had to re really rethink how I did things and how I acted, and 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 then what we did is we reset the company and created new, um, you know, a new sort of new values. We called them Outcare, Outcare. Like you said, it's like you know everyone ultimately who wants to be here, right? Like we'll see who wants to be here, who doesn't. If if you don't, we'll figure out a home for you somewhere else. We'll try to help you, but if you do, let's all agree to to agree to these values and. With onboard, I took what we learned without care at Ambassador, and so onboard we have. It's funny I'll read them this, I just pull them up. But we have, you know, ownership mindset, never stop learning, right? We just talked about that, you know, balance, which I think is something that I learned that we really need to focus on. One team, shared success, right? We all we all you know want to work together. Awareness is actually a value. I think it's super important. Yeah, uh, you know, real talk, open and honest, and then do the right thing. So they all spell onboard. But again, it's the things that we learn, that. Those types of attributes are what we hire for. We versus really great at this one particular skill. I mean, maybe when we get to five hundred people, that that will matter more. I hope it doesn't because what I found is a group of people working together, all truly rowing in the same direction, get so much further than ten smart people who have their own ideas of how to get things done.
1: Absolutely, that's, Absolutely. that's a hard lesson to yeah. because
0: you're sort of trained the opposite.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're, look, you're right. I mean, know-it-alls are, are the, I'm a lawyer by trade by the way. And you know, I'm surrounded by know it alls It's like space balls. I'm surrounded by assholes, uh, also lawyers. Um, and it's tough. You can't get them to understand that they've made a mistake and that that's okay. That's, that's the worst part, right? When you have every answer to every problem, how could you possibly, it'll shatter your whole world if you make a mistake. And honestly, that's, that's the important part of growth, right? That's how businesses grow. That's how people grow is by making mistakes as you started out this conversation talking about. And, and that's an important part of the process. So how do you drill down? What's your process at an onboard to getting to that during an interview, right? How are you discovering that? And, and have you been able to avoid anyone faking you out and, and pretending that they're, growth mindset and then they get in and all of a sudden you realize whoops that was a bad
0: hire it's it's a great it's a great question and and also so i'm also a former attorney, although never practiced, you know I. <laughs> thank, I, I took the thank, bar. Thankfully, the
1: thankfully, thankfully, trust yeah. me, you're not yeah. missing out. No, look, I, I just quick sidebar. I, I mean, I still have clients. I still practice, and I okay. actually I love what I do because I work with entrepreneurs or people in the entertainment industry, which are also entrepreneurs, and I help them to grow, and that's yeah. my objective. But man, when you got to deal with another lawyer. That is tough living because they are the smartest to themselves, the smartest people in the room, and um, I, I admittedly also have this problem. And getting them to shut up is almost impossible. And I, mm-hmm. I do have that problem, but but yeah. So thankfully, you're you're. Uh, I don't think you're missing much. And you know what? The education, if you do it for the right reasons, that that particular knowledge set can be an advantage, especially in entrepreneurship, especially in the entertainment space. But man. Absolutely. Man, we could do with a little bit less lawyers, I think, in the world would be would be a good thing.
0: But anyways, back to you. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And and so, so but it, it's funny because I think one of the things that was valuable in terms of hiring and people are, are really two things from my background. One was going to law school and really thinking analytically about problems. And I mean the one thing that's painful, right, that we see in practice is that in law school, you're sort of taught there's always a right answer. Like it, the, right. the answer always is it depends, right? right. Like that right. was like the one takeaway I always yes. Had. It's like you can yeah. always frame something in a way where you can potentially be right or make an argument or make yeah. your case. Yeah, most uh, of
1: the time it's bullshit, but yeah, for for sure, for sure, you're definitely <laughs> stretching in, in a lot of in a
0: lot of ways, right? Yeah. Um, and the other thing from my background, and this is sort of my before law school, was I was really into poker, and and I was a huge. Uh, uh, both online and in real, you know, real life poker player. And the one, you know, amongst many things, a lot of, I think great business lessons come from poker, but especially reading people. And so I'd like to think that I was above average from a hiring and just understanding people perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, but that being said, I mean, there were plenty of people we were wrong about, but what I like, what I think I'm more proud of is like a few times we plucked people that, you know, maybe they were shy or introverted, or maybe like, you know, during the process, they didn't sort of give the interviewer, and it wasn't always me, uh, the right feel. And and, and I've, a few people that I sort of plucked out of the discard pile and said, you know what, I'd talk to this person, give them a chance. And some of those people ended up being our best performers. Um and, you know, you, you come to realize, and it's hard to tell, right? Like in an interview, no one really trains you to be like open and transparent. Yeah, like right. you're supposed to be by the book right. and like shoot straight, you know, you know, give like your practiced answer. Right. And so, it, you know, we would, like I, a lot of times in our interviews, I would really look, look at their answer and then ask them a follow-up question more so than having a checklist of questions. You know, like I let the team ask them you know, are, does this person have the skills to do the job? Okay. If they do, that's great. Then at the end, like then they'll bring Jeff in. Right. And I'll go through the 15 or 20 minutes and say, what questions do you have for me? Right. And then just like, just like literally see what they say. And so right. I, I tried to give that space and I tried to make reads on, on, on people. And, you know, listen, there's some where you just look back and like, how did I miss that? Or how did I get that one wrong? And then there's others where you're like, Man, we were we were questioning this person. They were a star, and um, but I do think it comes down to and, and and again, like we try to develop the values over like what are the best attributes of the best right. people, right? And a lot of these are self-awareness, willing to learn, willing to take feedback, uh, not hiding things from their team and their managers, right? Like because ultimately we learn from feedback from people around us and how they respond to us, even if we don't intend those actions or those perceptions. And and that was a learning for me, right? I think a lot of entrepreneurs they think. I'm going to watch, you know, Steve Jobs movie and I'm going to be like a crazy person. And like that almost <laughs> like that never, like almost me, never, like, works. never works, almost, almost never way works. you can act. And, you know, you know, you see people doing it. You're like, what are you doing? You know, like that. No one likes that. No, no one feels good. If you're a one in a trillion person. You know, maybe that works, but everybody else—that's not a good strategy.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, so, quick sidebar: favorite poker movie? Rounders? I would imagine.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, right? Of we have
1: course. a lot in common, man. You know, the yeah. the lawyering thing. We both love poker. There was a time there where where I was playing poker at least weekly, uh, yeah. mostly with friends and stuff. But but always loved to uh, to play online or to go down to the casino and play for a bit as well. So, but yeah, you do learn really entrepreneurial skills if you take the game the strategy aspect of it, right? It's very similar to entrepreneurship. Like you said, it's reading people and reading situations and making decisions based on data. Yeah, there's luck involved, but there's air quotes luck involved in everything and poker very much so if you prepare and you put in the time a lot of times that's why quoting from rounders that's why you always see the same nine guys at the final table of the world series not so much anymore these days right. but but back in the day when it was <laughs> back in the day when it was the the you know the Doyle Brunson's the Johnny Chan's etc that were the the main you know core you would always see those same i mean Stu Unger look at Stu Unger yeah. it's a shame obviously that that he uh, succumbed to, uh, I think it was an overdose if I'm not mistaken, right? But, um, but man, I he he easily could have three peated probably, and just unfortunately didn't didn't show up for the end of the the tournament the third time around. But, um, but yeah, there's there's that aspect to it. So now flipping to serial entrepreneurship is it's really interesting that that you wanted to talk about this because I always find it really funny when people say you know oh you're you're you know you work for yourself or you're an entrepreneur you run your own business you do whatever you're not working for someone else which first of all those are not the only two options right you can totally you can totally have a 9 to fiver if you want and side hustle until you've spun it up to the right level and got it to a scalability point uh, yeah. there are options there are things you can do out there and you can also have multiple businesses going on you know i right now have at least three, and uh, I had to think about it for a second. And um, and you know those those businesses all have ebbs and flows. And sometimes when you have multiple options, uh, I'm teeing this up to get to your your opinion on this. They all have ebbs and flows, and sometimes you know law firm's super busy, and the production company isn't that busy. And mm. at other times, the production company is really busy, and the law firm you know kind of lulls a little bit or whatever. And having that, I think makes for a a much more interesting life, but B, it also kind of creates some future proofing, right? I'm um, diversifying, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people talk about anyways, you know, entrepreneurship that's so risky. And my response to that usually is, actually I think you're in the riskier position because you could show up to work tomorrow and for a litany, a laundry list of reasons your boss says, hey, you know, Jeff, it was great having you here. Thank you so much for your contributions to the organization. Here's your banker's box. Really sorry. We're letting you go. Usually on a Friday afternoon to ruin your weekend on top of everything else. And, you know, the expectation is you better give them two to three week notice if you're going to quit. But a lot of times if they're letting you, if they're showing you the door, they're doing so to try to surprise you, you know, they're blitzing you. So what what are your thoughts on serial entrepreneurship at, at large and what's your advice to someone who's considering it? Hey everyone, Tony Lopes here, host of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in every week. If you haven't done so, please hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to or watch our podcast and leave us a review or a thumbs up. You can also check us out on Instagram at self-made strategies, all one word. And if you love the show, please feel free to share it with a friend of yours. Thanks again. Now back to the show.
0: It, it's, it's funny because it, I actually think of a lot, you know, bringing up poker, which we didn't intend. I didn't mention it even ahead of time it always, it reminded me of poker. So, I mean, again, back in the early 2000s, poker was, it was not, it was popular, but it was very, in terms of like right. the skill levels, right. it was really low, sort of just broadly speaking. So if you were a pretty good good player, you could easily be a winning player. And over the course of, for me, it was like high school, college age, and then this isn't playing, you know, playing with friends and stuff. Um, I was making a, a good amount of money and enough, where I ended up, I ended up helping to pay off law school with, with that uh-huh. money. But um, people would be like, man, that's really risky. Like you're like a gambler. And I'd be like, well, you know, it's kind of like it's, like, it's not, it's not actually gambling for me. It's really like, there's a, there's a function here. And over the course of tens of thousands and, and even online millions of hands, potentially, uh, I'm basically making X dollars per hour and it's right. pretty, and, you know, it varies. Yes, it varies. And like, it's not like a, I'm not punching in and punching out, so to speak. Um, but it's, you know, I, I again, for me, and this was sort of this thought process I went through as when I was graduating law school, I, I, my dream was to be a professional poker player. I wasn't good enough. Like seeing my friends that were at the final table of the world series, like they were good enough and they were just better than me. And it was painfully frustrating because I thought I was there and I, and I just wasn't And the risk, the dollars were were too real for me. So I couldn't devalue them enough to make like the right move even, you know, so um, but, but for me, and, and this was sort of my thought process of becoming an attorney and actually getting a job in, in the legal field. I just couldn't see myself doing it. And I was, for me, it was not so much that the risk is on, is, is that I'm going to make less money potentially long-term and just like the risk is that, is that what you want your life to end up right. being? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. And for me, it was like, well, if I can do whatever I want uh, and I can make enough money to survive, then then I'll be okay. And so I always had this like sort of weird backdrop of like, well, I can probably supplement some money through poker. I could probably, um, at one point, I got my real estate license because I had just graduated law school. So I actually flipped a couple houses and actually was a broker for a couple houses. So I was just trying to make enough money to do something that I wanted to do all the time. And I think for an aspiring entrepreneur, the hardest part is the later you wait in life, the more demands you'll have on your time and probably on yeah, your wallet. Of course. And so yeah. I was like single. I had, you know, I had I mean I was in a relationship, but I didn't I wasn't married, and have a mortgage. I mean, I was thinking about all these things, but I could basically live on nothing, like very little, right? And and eventually did. I moved back into my parents' house super cliche. I was lucky and privileged to have that opportunity, but but I was, you know, and even, you know, I, I didn't have a nice car. I didn't have flashy things like uh, I I was, I was investing in myself and I spent most of my twenties and much of my thirties investing in myself. And then like the goal was for me is like, I hope that pays off. So in my forties and fifties and sixties, I can do really fun shit. And you know, then when other people are like having to grind it out, like I'd rather grind it out when I'm young and like, I can still not be exhausted at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, and not only that, but again, the the risk factors don't just stop with your immediate employer to begin with. Right. You're you're if you're buying into this, you know, pension four hundred one k, not investment advice, but just saying, just looking at the common sense, that stuff is not guaranteed. None of that is guaranteed, and you're basically buying into this traditional system that was developed. And, and we've gone a little bit off topic, but an interesting one, I think, and hopefully interesting to the listeners. You, you've you bought into a system that maybe was a good idea 30 years ago, 40 years ago, right? That's not what it is today. I remember uh, in law school, quick sidebar, that one of my professors, I asked him, you know, I was getting ready to graduate, so of course I'm asking, you know, a professor of mine who's kind of a, was kind of a pseudo-mentor, not an actual mentor, but nonetheless, we, we it was a, um, it was business planning in law school. So it was very much talking about, you know, applying the law to businesses and how to use it for growth strategies, talking about VC, talking about how those agreements are negotiated. It was a great class. I loved it. And uh, so I asked him, you know, hey, you know, any advice for kind of building your career? You know, where should I start? And no joke, he says to me, you know, I wish I could give you advice, but I graduated in the 70s, I think, late 70s, and literally they anyone that had a printed law degree had like 12 offers that summer. That was <laughs> the way it was, right? Yeah, you're laughing because it's no longer that way today, right? And And the inverse— he paid way less for his legal education than we did. And, yeah. and so you look at that, and I, I honestly think, and I know this is a little bit off of our topic, but I think that those traditional jobs, which, by the way, if you're looking to get rich, law school is not the answer. It is not the answer. Huge amount of debt to go to law school, and quite frankly, the salary numbers unless you're working at big law, which by the way, if you're working at big law, you're working like 70, 80 hours a week. So first of all, your hourly return eh, and you know, your quality of life is probably going to be crap. But, but if you're working just a, the average salary law job, it is not that impressive. It, it's, it's a good way to, there are worse ways to live, but versus quality of life. I think you're right. I, I think, I, I think you're right that, you know, it's just, it's a big risk. And, entrepreneurship can lead to certainly going to work your ass off. Nobody's saying that you're not, and you're going to put in the late hours and you're going to burn the midnight oil sometimes for something that most people are probably going to think you're crazy for doing. But if you are successful and you have to temper success, right? It's not a Bugatti, but if you are successful in whatever definition you define as success, it can be very rewarding. And and have you found that as well for yourself?
0: Yeah. And, and, and I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, so I just turned 40 and I was literally thinking about like writing a blog post about what would I tell myself, right? My, my younger self. Right. And in like, I, I, I do fundamentally believe like your definition of success, like you being individually, like that's what you should try to define at a relatively young age. And of course you can always reflect and change it, but like, that's what you should optimize for is like that level of success. And for some people it's, you know, being retiring at 30 and living in a van for other people. It's having a mansion for other people it's traveling the world. For some people, it's having 10 kids and paying for their whole life. Like whatever that is for you, like that's what you should focus on. Yeah. To try to optimize for and like they're all different. They all can be very different paths. Um, and I think the one thing that I would say is uh, that I've learned and I'm sure I know you 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 have as well is that if you think, and and so many people say this to me, and none of them are entrepreneurs, but they're like, can't you just do whatever you want? And like, the answer is like, of course I can. But like, basically I will will make zero and like lose the reputation that I've spent my entire life building. So it's like, yeah, like you can skip and you can skip the day and sleep in or like not show up and tell everyone to forget, like cancel your calls. But like that happens in movies to me or like in a family business where like, you're sort of an absentee owner. The reality is in most cases, if you're building something like y- you are responsible, not only for yourself, but for everybody else who's involved, yep. including your customers and your vendors and all those, like there's so many people. Um, and, and I think that's the one thing where like, yes, you're you're betting a disproportional amount of time and energy on yourself. The upside is generally going to be much larger, um, but it is, I think by far the You you can any other job will be less work.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. It's it's a ton of work, but I think it's ideally if it's something you care about, it's rewarding more so than sort of building for somebody else or doing something you don't want to do for somebody else. Uh, That that's where for me the benefit is is that I feel good about uh, what I'm focusing my time on.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so looking at you know starting, growing, scaling, and then eventually exit strategy wise, potentially selling the business. What do you think are, and I know this is tough, every industry has its own you know, necessary steps and things like that, but if you had somebody come up to you and say, look, I'm looking to really kind of up my game as an entrepreneur, what's your overall strategy for each of those, for starting, for growing, for scaling, and then ultimately to build a business that you can flip?
0: Yeah, and so I think the number one thing that, that I've learned about, about building a business and something that it's nice, I think once you can do it. It's actually fairly repeatable to, you know, like you can't necessarily repeat the success, but I think you can repeat a process or a framework. Um, and so for me, it's really, it's really about being organized. Mm -hmm. Uh, most times I've found, at least for me, when I start something, I do everything. I, I try to learn it all. Uh, and that's great. You can't sell that learning everything to somebody else. Like you have to put processes and frameworks in place so that it can sort of stand on its own. And then you learn the next sort of level, or you know, you then you you level up, you learn it, and then you build the process. So eventually, you're sort of building like a skyscraper that you can walk away from and it's still standing. Um, If you tell people to do everything, you're going to end up with a house of cards, in my opinion, right? Like, if, if you're the most passionate person about it, like, you should probably know enough to do it, at least for some period of time. And so I think that actually probably applies definitely in starting and definitely in scaling. I think scaling, you can certainly learn from people, uh, who've been there before, you know, for us, as we scaled, you want to, you want to sort of hire people or talk to people that have been sort of where you want to be in the next X period of time. Like for us, it was like milestones sort of based on fundraising. So maybe it was everyone, when we were at a million in revenue, I wanted to talk to people that were at 10 million in revenue. Like, what did you do to get from one to 10? Right. Um, and i think if you stay in the and you stay in the industry or the vertical i think you can find those people and there's a lot of similarities when it comes to selling i would say it's a lot of luck to be honest uh, i mean a lot of entrepreneurship is luck i think a lot of things obviously in life are luck but um, it's sort of the right thing at the right time you you realize going through a process and we went through a process which took almost a year and spoke to dozens and dozens of companies very different companies up and down the the board and you know at the you know things changed at the very last minute that were the difference between having a successful outcome and then going back to the drawing board and so and it was a you know the tiniest of details like you know again as a lawyer you can appreciate but a word here or a word there or something meant one sure. other thing and you're like whoa that's a that's a lot of dollars like we need to figure this out and sometimes you hold your ground and say if you can't take it then we agree to disagree and we'll walk away and and I wouldn't lie. To if, if I told you that it hap- that happened like 48 hours before we thought we were gonna get the deal done. So it's, it's crazy um, and it's a lot of luck, but I think if you do all the preparation, right? If you have your processes in place, like you can't bullshit. Like the thing is like, it's, you, you know, you can't bullshit your way to success in my opinion. like yeah. I think you have to do the work and you have to document it. And the things that are always going to be trendy are going to be profitable, scalable businesses. Uh, and if you have those pieces in place, you know, someone will always think they can do a better job than you. So that that's some of the the room for you to be able to sell and make uh, and make some money. Profit.
1: Interesting. Yeah, they'll look at something and say, you know, this is making a couple million, as you said, a year. We can take this, do X, Y, and Z, and get it to the ten, the twenty, the thirty, the etc. And I like the way you pointed that out. I think you know it's similar to we had someone on the show that previously talked about looking at somebody that's a couple cars ahead of you, right? Yeah. Don't look at the. You know, uh, Mark Cubans of the world and say, I want to be a billionaire. Yeah, that'd be great. We all want to be a billionaire, but yeah. you got to kind of bring it back a little bit and say, who's a couple steps ahead of where I am, like the 10 million to the 1 million in your example, and getting with those people and saying, how do I get to where you are? What are the things I need to be doing now to level up to that? And then so on, keep reiterating that. It's that's interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Now, Let's talk about raising capital in general. Have how many times have you raised capital in or for a business and what are your best practices for that?
0: I have I've probably raised capital half dozen times at, at least. So a fair a fair amount of times and from, you know, dozens of people across, you know, from VCs to family mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. friends to institutions and angels and everything. So sort of a wide scope all primarily tech based. Um, a couple things that I've learned that I I think are universally true. Uh, and then these are sort of, some of these are sort of the values that I live by, but, um, one, one of which is, is, and I think really important is, and I said it earlier, but let's like, don't bullshit, you know, like you can have a vision, uh, but a vision is not fact. Right. And like, and like you lose a lot of credibility by making crazy promises, um, you can make crazy claims that you think things will happen, but saying that it for sure will, or we're the best, like every pitch when it says we're the best X, but like we need $5,000 or 50 grand. It's like no one who's the best at X needs 50 grand right now. Like no offense. Like it might be a great idea, but the best person doing that has more than 50 grand available. Um, And I think, you know, those things don't help you. Like the, I, I don't love the idea of like fake it till you make it. Like I think there's a fine line between, sort of, you know, being reckless and being like confident. And I think you want to be on the side of, you definitely want to be confident and you want to say like, I'm the person who will do it. I'll work my tail off. Like I know what I'm doing. I've learned these things. I'm willing to learn more, but not, this is going to be the next Facebook. Like saying that right. is just dumb. Right. Like there's right. one Facebook and like even Snap snapchat which is amazing is not even close to facebook yeah. right and that's um,
1: that's if you want a great example those of you who are listening go check out the fire festival documentaries if you haven't seen them that's exactly it right that's what overconfidence and just literal bullshit will yeah. get you it's not going to get you anywhere and you're right fake it till you make it culture has i think sent the wrong set itself up for the wrong message in reality it's not fake it till you make it, it's Overcome imposter syndrome. Don't shoot yourself in the foot by saying, you know, I'm not good enough to do this because you may be, but that's more of a self-awareness thing than I'm going to bullshit everybody around me so that I can get some money to do something fake, right?
0: Exactly. And and I think it goes along with, you know, remember, and this, this applies to life, and I think many of these things apply to life, but it's, it's really thinking long term. Like when you're talking to people that are potentially going to invest in you, not only is their money and opinion of you important? Uh, Like, even if they don't give you money, they may introduce you to people that will be interested in giving you money. So the idea is to spread yourself around by asking for advice, and and, and you can do that. And what's so nice about that, even if you have imposter syndrome, is asking for advice is, is something that a lot of people, again, speaking from a tech perspective, will do for free and do because they have good intentions, and because they hope that maybe this will lead to something, but you don't ever have to ask for money. The the secret about people that invest for a living is they're always thinking about investing. You don't even need to ask them. Like you don't need to ask them for money. They will tell you they wanna give you money and that's when you start negotiating. So for most of the time, if you don't know how to fundraise, you should ask an entrepreneur who's raised $10 million. If you wanna raise a million, ask him who's raised 10. Because the worst way to do it is to be desperate or saying, "I need money for my startup, or we're going to go out of business." Like those are not good strategies. Right. Like no one cares about desperation. Like investors, like I said, they want to invest and they make money by investing, but they don't make any money if you lose all the money. Right. Like they, they, they're not going to hold it personally against you unless probably it's like something you do is illegal. But you, you need to, uh, you know, ultimately you want to, you want to use the money effectively, efficiently. Don't, you know, you can't spend it on yourself, right? Like it's, you know, it's just like fire Festival, right? So like, right. those are things that a lot of people don't realize perhaps um, in terms of how fundraising works. It's also not at all like Shark Tank. Um, so like, you know, again, those are the things that we're seeing and like you get, in, 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 but yeah. the reality is in real life, you're building a relationship, you probably know the person, but ideally you ask for advice, say, hey, I know you've invested in companies like this, Where do you think I need to be? What do I need to do to get to the point where you'd consider us? That's as far as you should ask. Once you ask someone and they say no, it's really awkward to talk to them about it again. Like you might, but it's really hard. And so what you want to do is sort of cultivate those relationships, just like sales, like you're selling, you're selling yourself, you're selling your business. You need to ask questions uh, and sell and sort of in that manner and let the money sort of come to you. Uh, And ultimately, if there's stuff you have to build or you can't afford to get there, that's when the hard decision becomes do I, you know, do I borrow money from friends and family? Do I do it as a side hustle? Right, do I do it while I'm working? Do I not pay myself and do it myself? Those are things that real entrepreneurs have to deal with every day. Yeah. So those are the those are the real things that you have to do is get the business to a point where you can then raise money from someone who who does it for a living and those are the best investors right like family is really freaking hard to raise money from because they're usually are not the same yeah as a usually ends up negative income.
1: right that's that's the problem and and a lot yeah. of times you know i think one of the biggest issues and this is a little bit of the lawyer brain kicking in but i think one of the biggest issues is a lot of times unfortunately people take on less formality because it's friends and family and then you end up in a really negative space because you don't have the agreements to protect you. And you might still end up in a negative space because there's just that, you know, you're right. They're not career investors. They don't understand that even though you could tell them they're at risk until you're blue in the face, once you lose that money, they're going to be pissed and you're going to have that situation to deal with. Right.
0: Yeah. And the other thing, too, and, and this, I think, goes along with it, Unfortunately, again, like. The, the legal background probably saved me but as an entrepreneur the first some of the first things you're going to do you're going to sort of hustle or yeah. find templates online. The things that you don't want to skimp on or at least want to make sure that you that you have airtight are your legal agreements and your account and your accounting because those things if you screw up like the government doesn't care and like if you make those mistakes you will pay and that's not good, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to get, you don't want to get audited. You don't want to pay a boatload in taxes. You don't want to form the company or like those things are important. Yeah. And, and the fact that you're an entrepreneur doesn't, you know, doesn't give you a free pass there. And so th- those are things again, where, you know, I, I definitely was loose with a couple of things. And I'm like, even though I was an attorney, I was like, you know what, it will be okay. And thankfully like everything, you know, I, I, you fix everything, buttoned it all up, but, um, you can see how easy it is to sort of yeah. push things aside yeah. because it's hard and it's expensive. And, and it's like buying a house, right? Like you only do it maybe a couple of times in your life and you, no one knows what really happens there. Right. It's so confusing for most people and starting a business is like that. And, and, know, all those decisions matter. The location matters, the formation, the entity you create matters. There's different tax yep. rules and tax codes and, you know, in some ways an LLC is much better, but in other ways it's way worse. So there's a lot of things you need to know. And again, the good news is if you know an entrepreneur, talk to three or four of them in your area or in your space. Uh, The best part to me about entrepreneurs is they like talking to other entrepreneurs. And so they're usually pretty helpful.
1: Yeah, that's true. And they usually, you know, they usually look back at themselves and say, you know what, and that's why picking someone that's pretty close to you you'll gain some empathy because they'll say, you know, I was at a million whatever a couple of years ago and I was looking for people to help me. And either someone did and they're going to pay it forward or someone didn't and they'll be willing to do it to avoid that hassle uh, for you as well. So, yeah, really interesting. And I, I think you're right. I think it's not because I'm a lawyer, but... Um, but, uh, I happen to have a tax LLM, by the way, I do practice in in the tax space as well. And again, it's, I've put together the toolkit to help entrepreneurs. That was the idea I wanted to be, I I was aspiring to become an entrepreneur and kind of taught myself as you did the same thing, using that legal knowledge to, to try to advance that aspect. But the, the thing is you do not want to DIY this stuff. You want a budget for it you want to find a lawyer that that wants to help you grow not one that just wants to connect, collect their legal bills but it's not something you want to DIY cuz most people are going to screw something up and you know it's when you need it that it's going to hurt right and then you're you're going to be kicking yourself because it's going to cost you more money like you said whether it's a tax issue or a formation issue or you know now you got a shareholder dispute on your hands and you don't have the proper documentation so now it's a really expensive mess to try to clean up, a litany of problems. Um, but one of the things that you talk about a lot, and you started talking about this at the beginning of the conversation about onboard is sort of this rise of the customer-driven organization, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit. What does that mean to organizations today? And what is a customer-driven organization?
0: So I, I think about this really as one of the, macro trends that we're seeing in the world. And I mean, I think some of this came to rise or was accelerated by COVID. Um, But even before that, we were seeing, and again, I experienced this personally with just like the the sort of younger millennial Gen Z, um, you know, folks who are really so much more purpose-driven, mission-driven in the way that they interacted with their own company, but also the brands that they that they choose to consume, right? And you I think you see this more and more um, and even now you see in the stock market with like these memes and you're really seeing these people are really um choosing brands for some bigger purpose than just the product. Right. right. And right. I think and I think that applies and there's a parallel to uh what we call like the sort of a customer driven organization where the 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 companies that are doing the best are the ones that are focused sort of maniacally on their customers. And I mean, there's no better example today than Amazon, right? Like Amazon, like all the time lowers their prices. Like it's the most customer friendly thing you can do, right? Like there's a business reason behind it, uh, but the goal is to create an environment where you would never look anywhere else. Like they're so convenient. It's so amazing for a customer. um, and, And I think, yes, it makes sense in consumer, like, you know, in, in books and now in like, right. Amazon sells everything, but in terms of software, and they also do this with AWS, Mm -hmm. but in terms of software, you know, the, the industry that, that I'm in, uh, for a long time, you had enterprise software in in air quotes, and it was just like the clunkiest crappiest, you know, use, it was basically a database with like some, some pictures on it. Right. It was horrible. And over time, um, you know, again, this time is, is accelerated over the past, you know, five, six, you know, maybe even less years. You're seeing companies that are just creating amazing experiences for for customers and for people to use, right? And so, for us, the way that we think about it is, you should be. The reason why Onboard exists is because you should be so focused on creating an amazing experience for your customers, and that really starts with the day that they agree to purchase or use your software. Right. I mean it even starts before that in terms of when they interact with your website. But from a from a customer success standpoint, which is kind of where we sell, it's really thinking about how does how does this customer interact with our software the second they say they want to purchase it or they purchase it. And like an onboard helps them get onboarded so the teams can work together and they can start using it as as efficiently and 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 frictionless as possible. And for anyone out there who sells software or uses software, you understand that the general rule of thumb is you—the sales team overpromises how easy it is, and then it always ends up being a freaking pain in the ass, and that sucks. <laughs> like it shouldn't be like that, right? And so, what we found—and at my last company, we sold the—you know—we sold the companies all over the map, international, you know, global Fortune 500 companies. We found that it was so hard to get them to get integrated because it was a small part of their day to do this little. You know, task, and so we created a platform that helps bring visibility and collaboration across all the stakeholders, and makes it really easily uh, manageable by both the you know the company using the software, and also of course the company and the onboarding specialists who are, whose entire job is to get them going. And Then of course the management and and executives who sort of see all the insights and from the top down and sort of really manage, as we were talking about before, manage the process of onboarding so that when you sell or when you hire 10 more people the the playbook is there right the process for how to do it is there and they just start executing it instead of you know recreating the wheel
1: yeah it's brilliant brilliant and i couldn't agree with you more i i think that generally speaking you're you're right that we've seen a change to that which has actually led to robust growth in the entrepreneurial space in some uh, sort of a plateau in the bureaucratic space, right? These large bureaucratic organizations where customers are just the number and they think that they're selling some product that's the pain point of the customer. They're missing the aspect that is that the customer value and the customer story is what gets crazy loyalty, right? Like with Amazon, like what you said. They're basically, they've built a, a catastrophically large organization and taken down organizations that were Goliaths in their respective industries and and fought off a lot of others because they basically just listened to the customer and said, well, you know, if you don't like something, return it and we're not even going to ask you anything about it, we're just going to return it for you and we'll deal with it on the back end. Or if there's something wrong with your purchase or same day or overnight or, you know, whatever. Now there's maybe a little bit of argument about how Amazon, some of the stories we've heard about how they treat their employees, but um, which is another thing is the customer driven organization really, I think at some point needs to become a people or stakeholder focused organization. The customer and your employee can both be first in that tied for first in that story, and in that value creation. But it's something that you really need to think about because yes, customers are important to bring the money in. But the very, very close, if not tied for first, next thing you need to worry about is your employee happiness. At the end of the day, that's that's your moneymaker. Those are your breadwinners, right?
0: I I love that, and it's it's funny you say that because with my last company ambassador, we weren't the biggest company. We didn't have the most funding. We had a lot of big name customers, but maybe not the most big name customers. But we, what we did have was we had a great rating on, um, What was it called, that's not Open Door. Um, Glassdoor.
1: Glassdoor, yeah. Uh,
0: we had like a 4.8 or 4.9 rating wow. on Glassdoor. And that was our sales pitch. I When I, when I was called into the big companies to close them and they're like, why should we choose you? 50 person company instead of this 200 person company that's raised $90 million and you guys have raised $3 million. And besides me saying, well, we're probably profitable and they're not, (laughs) and we have a more likely chance of being around, I said, look at our employees and look at their employees. I can't tell you who's going to be servicing your account, but any one of these people, you can see how happy they are working here. And if I were you, I'd want to work with happy employees, right? That's, and so I I fundamentally agree with that. And, And again, we're moving to a culture. And in 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 the way that both media and information is consumed, like you can't hide these things anymore, right? Like thirty years ago, no one knew what how people felt about a certain company unless you were in the city where that company existed, exactly. right? Yeah. Now companies are everywhere, people are everywhere. Um, and, and, you know, so to me, it's sort of the the, the broad democratization of of purchasing, consuming, and working allows for for this trend to to continue and so i i totally agree you're going to find the best companies tend to have the best cultures tend to have the best employees tend to have the happiest customers and it's it's going to be a i think a self-fulfilling prophecy in in some ways because it just makes the most sense even from a business perspective which i don't know is that's the primary goal but i think it's a primary outcome
1: well i think that's why you see triple bottom line organizations really succeeding and becoming more of a thing Because we had this maybe, what, 15 years ago or so, maybe 20. We had this shift towards, you know, B corporations and that for-benefit thing was starting to mix up. And and you saw that. and, And that's still around to some degree, right? But now you see LLCs just saying, you know what, screw the government. We don't need an official filing that takes several years and some bureaucratic BS to overcome to say that we want to help people or help the environment or whatever it is. And we're just going to start an LLC. It's going to be for profit, but it's also going to exist for people and for purpose of some sort. Right. And quite frankly, usually in those structures, you're seeing profit being the last of the three people usually is pretty high on the list. Or if you have an organization that's more environmentally focused, They're, they're more purpose, right? More purpose driven, but the three are critically important. And what you see is whether it's people or purpose or both, it's all driven by values, right? At the end of the day, we're saying, what do our people care about? And people doesn't necessarily just mean employees, but it does critically include employees because Mm. happy employees lead to happier outcomes and happier clients, because any time you go to an organization, and I'll give you a great example, uh, I'm going to say that uh, my wife and I have done, uh, we've been fixing the house like a lot of people have been doing during COVID because we didn't you know, travel last year. And so we used some of our, our savings for that stuff. And so we've had experiences at this point with essentially every major chain, Amazon Wayfair, Home Depot, Lowe's, you know. You, you've you been through the experiences mm-hmm. and I, I'm not going to out any brands, not going to say anything, but quite frankly, when, when you go to some of these, it's clear that they must be doing something organizationally better and different than their main competition, because you're at one of these hardware stores or at one of these companies talking to customer service because your package is late or because you got to change something or you need something delivered on X date because it needs to be timed. Right. Right. And Mm. the employees who are super helpful and go above and beyond are clearly working for organizations that must care about them and therefore they want to do a good job. And then you got the flip side where it's, you know what, our employees are a cost or an expense. They're, they're a hassle to deal with and that's the way we feel about it. And you can just tell those employees are miserable. And I, I think at the end of the day, that's got to be it, right? I, I mean, I don't know. You tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I, I think that's what it's got to be. And I'm not going to lie. When I get treated well by an employee, I say to myself, yeah, I'm going to buy from them first, all other things being equal.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, it. it it's a time where where people are are voting with their dollars, right? They're making conscious decisions to to work with and buy from companies that align with their values, and and no better experience can you have to see this is when you're when you have a problem, you know. I mean, I think there's there's one of two there's usually one of two ways that goes. You either become more loyal or you never use them again. <laughs> um, and 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 I you think that, you know, that right. tends to you see that most often in times of, of problems, you know. Um, and, and that, that, and, and listen, the, the, the front line of defense, so to speak is a customer support, customer success person. And it's not going to be an executive. It's not going to be someone who is necessarily reading from a S from like the perfect answer from, from the CEO or founder. It's going to be someone who hopefully is this innate sense based on what they've been doing in your organization. And so, you know, that, and, and that's really what a culture is, right? So I I mean, I I think we're seeing it, you know, we're seeing it more than ever, especially as you're not always in the office and there's more and more remote people and more Zoom meetings. It's incredibly important. And I think we'll continue to go in that direction where, uh, you know, the company, I mean, listen, the companies that are making you sit on hold and, and it's just a miserable experience, like, we're going to get, we keep getting more choices and we keep not, in my opinion, we keep not choosing them. Right. Like, yeah. That's like also true. That have been yeah. using that company for years and years and years. Like those people are at the end of their consumer life, so to speak, I think, you know, like that is a different generation. And they had different expectations. And I think, you know, the millennial Gen Z um, I just think that they think about things differently. They're willing to spend uh, for experience or, 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 or not spend. If it's not, if it's not aligned with them and, and, And I think that's what we want. I mean, as a consumer, that's that's all I can ask for. You know, like the shoes that I buy, like I, it's nice. They tell me to buy another half size up so I can return the one that doesn't fit. Like that's freaking amazing, you know. And they come in two days. Uh, Like that's so much better than uh, you know getting something home and they're like, oh, you have like a, there's a a piece of fuzz on it. Like you can't return it anymore. Right. That's that's miserable. Right. Um, So it's just it just those are the things that. You know, Against you, see, entrepreneurs and startups are doing those types of things, they're making shopping easier. Then, you know, shipping is free. You know, like you don't want to get charged for shipping no matter what, like, bake it into the price because you right away, like, everyone hates things for shipping because of Amazon, right? they basically took it away. So, I think all those things are trends that. That, that are, you know, accelerating, continuing, and, and I, I doubt they'll go away anytime soon.
1: Yeah, and a lot of that actually, yes, Amazon has solidified that from a branding and a large organization standpoint, but a lot of that, the free shipping thing, I remember from, uh, I guess, the early-ish 2000s, I had a lot of friends who were doing eBay businesses. I'm sure we all did, right? And uh, one of their strategies, I remember just talking to a group of friends was, yeah, set free shipping and just charge them to the ship it like, mark up your product but just yeah. say free shipping and those were way more successful than the ones who were charging you the whatever the twenty dollars to throw it in priority mail or whatever it was still there they just love seeing free shipping and yeah. that that really is the thing like strategizing what is the customer what's this story what's what are their values what what are the pain points what's keeping them up at night focus on that answer those questions and they come and that's that's the way it goes right
0: yeah. No, absolutely.
1: Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. This was an awesome conversation. Aside from onboard.io, which we'll put in the show notes, we'll, we'll link to your site in the show notes for anyone who's listening. Aside from that, where can people follow you? Where can they reach out to you? Where, where should we look for you?
0: Yeah. Uh, Twitter and LinkedIn are probably the best. Jeff underscore Epstein, uh, a name that I know is no relation, but it probably, you know how to spell it at this point. <laughs> um, so uh, Twitter is probably the easiest, but also LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, if you're in, if, if, if you're in the software or in the, in the business of, of helping companies get onboarded to your products and services, you know, feel free to check us out. You know, you can, you'll be able to talk to me and we can help you see if it makes sense. But, uh, I appreciate it, Tony. This was awesome. Uh, fun, fun chat and went down memory lane a little bit, which was, which was cool.
1: Cool, man. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Really, really appreciate it. And we'll look out for all the cool things that Onboard does coming soon.
0: Awesome. Thanks again.
1: Thanks, man.